Matt, it was, it's the week of uh, the big Microsoft conference, Microsoft Ignite, but that really is uh, secondary to um, the conference that took place over the weekend that I, I assume all of the software-defined talk listeners uh, watched. Uh, Emacs Conf. <laughs> Emacs Conf oh, took yeah. place. This is uh, you know, where you gave what I'm, what I'm calling the unofficial keynote of Emacs Conf that took place. I think uh, it was at uh, – because I know we have a worldwide group here. For me, it was about 2.30 on Saturday. It's uh, a good time. When Watching I, a when little I football. Saw, I, I absolutely yeah, I had, the, you, had the college football going. And then I yeah. had Emacs Conf going. I, I'm going to say now, now, now. The question is, which one was in the foreground? It's <laughs> true. Well, I got a lot of screens. So they're all in the you foreground. Got a lot of screens. I have a. Right. I do have a lot of screens. You got a so, lot of foregrounds. Um, so, but for you, I think it was. Uh, I don't know what time was it. It was like 6:30 a.m. Sunday. Yeah. So I, I had my alarm set for 5:45. Uh, I snoozed. I woke up uh, about six o'clock. Had the coffee ready. And uh, my talk was scheduled for 6.15. And, you know, I got on the stream and saw, you know, the last speaker finish up. They hit play on my talk. I was in the IRC taking questions. People were amazed at my ability to present and take questions at the same time. Uh, the key is to pre-record your talk. I know. I was going to say, can, um, we, can we let everyone in, like, behind the window here? It's uh, So what you did was you actually recorded – what did you do? Just, like, just do, like, uh, like – a a screen recording, a Mac, Apple screen recording, and then export your <laughs> yeah, presentation. Yeah. Like what's so, this? Give us the story behind, behind this so, production. So, so clearly I didn't get the memo, uh, about, you know, making everything on free and uh, free software from end to end. So, um, I read the presentation stuff of like the presenter's notes about, you know, how to get your recording ready. And they had this, uh, uh, this Emacs package that shows like what you're typing uh, as you type it, and I didn't install that because it was for uh, uh, for for GNOME, and I was using Mac OS. <laughs> and then um, you know, but but to keep the 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 illusion going, um, I, you know, I always run my Emacs full screen, so you know, unless I change over to a terminal, you don't really notice uh-huh. uh, that I'm a, I'm on Mac OS. Um, I did use a terminal once, and somebody noticed. Oh, nice. <laughs> and then uh, for my presentation, I was using Keynote. I was like, hey, oh. uh, you know, I get to use Keynote because I wasn't using the company, um, you know, the pre-made uh, Google Slides. template. Yeah, your own deck. You could yeah, do your own yeah, thing. Yeah, I got to uh-huh. do my own deck. So I got to use my tool of choice, which, uh, sorry, it wasn't uh, Markdown uh, or, you know, whatever the latest uh, – <laughs> GNU open, open office, office uh-huh. presentation. I, I used I used a Keynote. It was glorious. Um, and and you know so so for Keynote, uh, usually I, I put like the informative slides in Keynote, and then every other slide I'd have like demo. And so uh, I'd have like you know the script for my demo in there. And so if you go to I posted my slides on SlideShare. I have all the demo notes in there too. If you actually care. I don't know why you would, but, um, you know, so I, I, I scripted out my demos and so I would like, you know, record over this, I would record talking through the slide, switch tabs over to the, uh, the Emacs, um, you know, run my, uh, run my stuff there, hit stop on my record. So I'm using ScreenFlow, which is a very nice Mac OS, uh, screen capture program with, uh, you know, uh, editing and highlighting. So I could turn off like my mouse pointer mm-hmm. and zoom in on terminals and, and fun stuff like that. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, it was 
a lot of work for probably I don't know how many people actually watched it, but uh, yeah, thousands. it was thousands of people thousands. watched it. I'm sure millions, millions. Probably millions. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the analytics on YouTube would say otherwise, but anyway, you know, it was. Uh, it's all it fake news. Fun. You know they don't track everything. Even shadow banned yeah. on YouTube. That's why they're just not showing you the views. The people, they, the they, people are seeing it. They well, can't have because you know. It's probably a political speech. <laughs> <laughs> well, more importantly, then here's how we're going to fix that. Everybody that's listening to this, you should get, you should watch it. So the links to everything Matt mentioned, the uh, the slide share, which uh, good friend YouTube, of the show, yeah. Michael Neal, noticed slide share, not a free open source, a free software site, but that's okay. Hey, it's out there. And then of course YouTube, you've got it up on the YouTube channel there. So. Uh, in between your kid watching like mine Minecraft and stuff, like because like my YouTube algorithms is very skewed. It's it, like my son uses it mostly, and then there's like me like watching an occasional video. So everyone mess up the YouTube algorithm uh, by watching um, Matt Ray's uh, Emacs con- uh, presentation, which I think I think you're selling yourself short. Like I thought it was fantastic. I think there's actually a lot. I've as uh, myself and Jordy and I think a few other people are in the Slack during the. Uh, the actual presentation, like commenting on it, I think it came across really well. And I think there is a lot of like simple tips in there about, hey, if you're going to do command line demos or textual demos, like just make the font big, use syntax, you know, highlighting. And it's like you did all that stuff, right? So it's very easy to follow, even if I mean, you know, no, hopefully not breaking news here. I'm not an avid Emacs user. I'm not going to tell you like I knew everything, but it was very easy to follow, right? Sometimes people get on there. Um, shall we say some of the new DevRel people, sometimes they just get up there with the white background, with tiny font, right? And they're giving some demo and you can't even read. You can't, you don't even know what's going on, much less being right. able to follow it. So if you are, uh, maybe you're a DevRel person, maybe you're getting into it. It's just like, yeah, it takes a little bit. And then of course, like everything uh, is very, very smooth because you pre-recorded it, but it comes across just as like, <laughs> very, you know what I mean? It's super professional. So I, Well, I thought, right, right. And, and then, and then, you know, we, we dropped me into the Q and A and the, the, you know, uh, webinar software that the Free Software Foundation is using didn't work great on macOS. Didn't recognize my my uh, your headset, camera. Right? Yeah, my so, headset. Well, suddenly, yeah, you, so, it's like you're like at a yeah. well all of a sudden. It was like Matt, you were yeah. right here. You were right next to me, giving me this yeah, great demo, I'm like yelling into the input on my laptop. Um, so you know, uh, but I had I you know I got good questions from the audience. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, we yeah. should talk about what it was about. Like, I don't give us the two seconds, right? It was basically <laughs> how to use Emacs to remotely do uh, lots of stuff. Yeah. So, so the quick pitch is um, Emacs has a mode for managing files on remote systems. So I can open up via SSH or or Telnet or FTP files on other machines, edit them. I can also open a remote terminal on those machines inside an Emacs session. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's called shell mode, you know, shell mode and tramp mode. Tramp is the remote access stuff. And so I use those to um, demo working with uh, Vagrant. Um, so SSHing into a VM on my laptop and copying content from this, you know, debugging session back into the code, going in and out of debuggers. Um, you know, I, I was demoing some of, you know, Chef and, and, and Inspect, you know, some of Chef's tools, but 
um, with the, the Ruby debugger, but if you were like uh, an Ansible developer or, you know, something in Python or, you know, other languages with an interactive debugger, a lot of those tips are going to be applicable. You no, know? So that's good. Well, I, that's uh, I, another. I tried, to, I tried to make it generic. True yeah. professional. True professional. It's like, hey, let me give you some examples of uh, the products I like to sell. Boom, 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 and then I go right into it. It's just, just the ultimate soft sell. It was like this, this. It's again, like you see someone great at their job, you just stand back and you watch. You're like, this man is great at his job. Like, oh, let me just show you some examples. I just happen to do this. Oh, if you're interested, you can get more information here, and then boom, right on, right back into it. So, uh, fantastic. So, everyone, this is your job this week. I think we assigned homework. Uh, last week, but homework this week. Everybody, go in there. It's under the Emacs Comp heading. You got Matt's presentation. You got slides from uh, the presentation, so you can do everything. I expect everyone to come back and, and start using Emacs, except myself. I will not. I'm still not. I'm still not using <laughs> Emacs. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah, so. yeah. You, I, I, I understand it's it's a, a tough slog. So I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You know, feel bad if if you don't uh, hop on that. <laughs> it's good though. It was good stuff. Um, but that kind of takes us right into maybe a little bit. Of, of the news this week. So the big conference, as I mentioned on top, was Microsoft Ignite. And, you know, it's funny, uh, kind of like thinking about your presentation is one of the things they announced was uh, Visual Studio, I guess, like online. You know, essentially you can, uh, you know, the IDE, they're going to put it all online and you can actually do it. And so I was thinking when they were doing the demo, I was watching the mm-hmm. keynote, um, Again, no offense to Max people. I'm not 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 trying to get into this. I'm just saying it was just really a, in a lot of ways a nicer version of what you were doing. So essentially, you could just uh, through or I shouldn't say nicer. I should just say a Visual Studio way of doing it stuff, right? Because right, like right. you don't have to install anything. You just basically go in the browser. You're very much in a Visual Studio environment. It lets you like kick up your environment right in Azure, do everything right there. And then they had um, you know essentially a really easy way to kind of uh, share and editing, you know, they, they use the example of like doing a code review, right? Like you and another person maybe be on there and uh, simultaneously mm-hmm. editing. So, you know, no, it's funny because they kind of presented it as brand news. And um, I think we've seen a lot of these editors over the time, right? We've seen a lot of like, you know, web-based IDEs. They've, there seem to be many of them. I don't know. I don't, I, I tend to think that like none of them actually catch on, but I thought to myself, <laughs> you know, here Matt Ray has been basically doing this, some version of this, I don't know, forever. Let's just say forever. So, so if you don't like learning Emacs and you want to do it, um, you can use the new Visual Studio stuff, which Microsoft seemed really proud of. But even in some of the announcements, it's like, I, I, I don't know, Matt, I don't know where you stand on this. Like, will, do we even need web-based IDs? Are they ever really going to take off? Is anyone really using them? Uh, there, there, obviously, there must be. You know, people keep doing them, and you know, uh, acquiring companies that do it. Um, so that you know, there, there were a raft of them. I think you know, uh, Microsoft bought one, Red Hat bought one. Um, I don't know if GitHub bought one before they were acquired, but you know, uh, you know, they're they're definitely popular um, to to acquire. <laughs> I don't know but, why. Uh, I just I I cannot yeah. find like when. Um... Not really in an open office as much anymore. A lot of work from home these days for me. But like, you just walk around the floor of like a floor of developers. Like I don't know. I never. I mean, everyone has their own little way of doing it. There's lots of different yeah. things out there. There's a lot of Visual Studios, a lot of Emacs, lots of different things. I'm, but I, I never mean, I see. Like, I never see anyone's like. Hold on. Let me just pull up the web based that thing. This is all right. I want to use. So I don't. I don't know yeah. why. Like you're right. There's a lot of interest. Companies get being bought. Someone's building a company right now that's going to be bought that does this. But 
but I, I don't I don't know why. Like what like what are the corporate dev people seeing? They're like, we gotta have this, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure we don't need this. Well, I, I, this kind of goes back to my my comments on, on previous podcasts about you know that uh, was it the 11 percent of people who don't modify their IDEs. Um, <laughs> they're they're and using so this, it. This is for that crowd, right? This is this is for like the the big enterprise where they're like, hey. Um, we need to lock down, you know, VDI is not working well enough. Uh, we need to lock down all editing, uh, all your editors. Um, you know, you can use this, uh, this web-based one and, you know, that web-based one has access to our, you know, our code repositories and that's the only corporately corporate acceptably way to edit it. Mm-hmm. I could see that scenario. And that doesn't sound like someplace I'd want to work. <laughs> That's like a really tough recruiting pitch, right? You're like, hey, turns out the you know we, we took away all the tools that you like to use. You can't use any of those here, and you have to well, use only the ones that I'm bring, I, I'm going or, to approve. Or you, you, you flip it around. You say like, hey, we've taken the hassle out oh, of having to maintain listen, all those. Wow, tool look at that jujitsu. Yeah, look at yeah. that. <laughs> look at that beautiful. Well, here I do see this though. Tell me, check me on this is I feel like I people, um, especially if you work for like a large cloud vendor and you're a developer, right? They will often um, not be issued like the most powerful laptop, right? They'll have like a, a good laptop that they, you know, usually they get to choose, right? But then they're essentially all their development stuff is really on virtual machines that they're assigned, right? Or they can, they have resources right. too. So they're, so really it's, it's, it's not like, I don't want to say it's just the terminal, but it's it's really just your, if you will, your window into doing all of your development uh, on you know virtual servers that the company has you know pr- provided to you, and, and those can be as big or as small as you need them, right? Kind of depending on what you're working on. So that seems fine, and kind of like you know what you kind of showed this weekend. But they still always have like locally, they have like their tools, their preferred tools, and then they can like terminal in or SSH there, but they're not combine combine confining themselves to just the web browser. But I think that's pretty common. Would you, I don't know. Are you, do you see that a lot? You know, like kind of all the development being done on cloud servers or are you still the kind of guys like, Hey, I need more Ram. I I'm running the entire, I'm running the entire data center on this laptop. I need the $10,000 version laptop. Uh, you know, definitely, definitely doing a lot more cloud-based stuff. Um, I, I find like the VM based is not a significantly better experience because usually what – instead of getting like, uh, you know, it, it – you know, so there are a lot of benefits of moving to the cloud. We've talked about that before. <laughs> I'm familiar right? with them. You know, you I've, I've heard of this. Read, I've heard of this yeah, thing you, you speak of. You don't need to read Accelerate to know that. <laughs> but um, moving to VM-based testing isn't that much better than laptop-based testing mm-hmm. uh, because cause you're still kind of in that, that – you know, enterprise IT miasma of, you know, well, I need a VM for testing and they told me it's going to take a week to get me a VM. And then once I have that VM, I can't, you know, quickly kill it and reprovision it. You know, it's, it just becomes like, that's our testing VM. And that thing is toxic, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it, it, it gets all junked up and it's long lived and you, yeah, <laughs> I just, I hate that box, <laughs> which which is why, like, you know, I tend to go between either vagrant on my laptop or, you know, completely ephemeral cloud instances that, you know, are, are short-lived. Right. Um, and, and I say vagrant. Sometimes I'm using Docker. Um, you know, I just 
Vagrant is better for machines that act like real VMs, right? <laughs> so that that's my little uh, you know testing quibble. I, I think I said that in the podcast or in the uh, and the, 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 the well, I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. Then it's like I don't, I don't know. Maybe we'll hear some people in uh, the software defined talk Slack. They can tell me like who's doing what. Like is everybody still just like getting the biggest laptop? Because I think what you said before it comes down to control, right? If I if at any moment the cloud environment I've given you is uh, I'm going to like get in your way, then that's going to, then you're immediately going to turn off the developers. Right. So, um, cause I'm, I am, I mean, to your point there, I guess it just depends on, you know, if it's a VM that's sort of long lived that, you know, you kind of have to maintain. Yeah. That's, you know, as we know, as we've all, you know, we don't need to say what is cattle and pets and, you know, we all know, Tragedy of the comments. We, we know, we <laughs> yeah. know that, but that's like so... my assumption is that the people at the big, you know, I don't know. The people who say the big cloud vendors that have this is like, yeah, it's no problem for them to just like throw up some instances, you know, do what they need to do and just kill them all, right? Like nothing's yeah. around more than like whatever, an hour or whatever, whatever you're doing to run your test. But uh, right. but maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong. Could right. be the first well, time. <laughs> yeah. So. All they, right. They mess up your, your cloud and your cloud accounts and uh, going through that again. But anyway. All right. Well, listen. So this <laughs> next natural segue here. So the other big announcement, at, uh, and there was a bunch of stuff at, at Ignite, but the thing I thought was relevant for us is uh, Azure Arc. So, you know, I don't know. I think you can just make your Noah Arcs jokes here. Go ahead. I'll let everyone think of one that they, they think is funny. I don't know where all these names come from. But Arc, um, as I understand it, as I watch the keynote, so I'm going to just simplify it. It's essentially the old manager of managers concept, right? So they they want you to be able to install Azure anywhere. So it used to be like you had Azure Stack and then you had Azure. And they were kind of related. They're sort of like cousins, but Azure Stack really didn't do everything. And then there was some connectivity between Azure, but it was always like a little, maybe not as much as you want. So Azure Arc, and of course, then you had to buy like certain kind of hardware. That was the other big drawback. You got to buy this kind of hardware. And it's like, of course, it's like big and expensive. So Azure Arc, as I understand it, is essentially you can stand up your own private uh, data centers using I'm sure this is the part they kind of glossed over in the thing because in the demo, they just said like, oh, we set all this up beforehand. And then they just went right into the demo and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I would like to see the setup. <laughs> so, but they just said that, you know, they kind of showed just a standard, whatever you would call a standard rack. Essentially, hey, we stood this up, we plugged it in. We, we said we want to, you know, if you will, install Microsoft Azure Arc on it, connect to it. So Arc goes in there. Here's some install magic. I don't understand how it works, but we'll just assume it all works. And then, boom! It's like you have a little bit, a little Azure sitting out there that's connected into uh, your main Azure. And then the other thing that they showed was you can do the same thing, and you can do it on AWS or GCP, right? So if you wanted to be the multi-cloud kind of person, and you wanted to run Azure essentially on AWS or GCP infrastructure, you could do all that. And then the magic is you've got one console showing you like all these different little mini data centers. And you can, of course, then do things like move workloads between them, set up security policies. And this is the part I didn't understand. Like some limited set of the data services available in Azure are also available in Azure Arc. So that, that's the right. part we'll have to like dive more into. Like, again, like there was a lot of details that they went over. So, so I guess we kind of come back to... <laughs> like this is where I think we are. It's like everything is going to connect with everything for the next three years because no, because 
no one really knows what everyone should be doing. And you can find a group of customers. I'll product management this a little bit. I believe you can find a group of customers to say anything at this point, right? Like yes. everything's going to the cloud. I need everything on premise. I need some of it in Azure. I need uh, some of it in a private hybrid cloud. And then somehow I need all of this connected to every single cloud, right? So like, oh, I think we God. could find a focus group that would say, this is what we should be doing. So I think as we look in the industry, um, and I guess in Azure Arc to kind of like frame it up a little bit, I mean, I think it's similar to Anthos. I think Anthos does a lot of the same stuff, mostly just with Kubernetes. And I yeah. think Anthos also offers some other things, like kind of the monitoring, um, like under the brand. So it's it's not exactly one for one, but I think it's a general, generally the same area. So, right, right. so as we kind of think about this, I was like, you know, my first reaction is always like, like who needs this? But I'm like, I'm sure they found people that asked for this. I, I absolutely well, believe that. But but let's just stop. I'm going to stop here for a moment and just say like. Are we on a on, are we on a good trajectory? Is the arc exactly. is the arc growing the right way? Like if if we're uh, this is a Noah's Ark and we have everyone together, like are we going to survive this or are we maybe going the wrong way? What are your thoughts? Well, well, well. well first off, uh, if, if we take this arc metaphor uh, a little farther, <laughs> right? That there's no way you could fit two of each animal on a ship. I'm just I'm just right. throwing that out there, right? And you know maybe that's why we don't have any more dinosaurs and unicorns, but. <laughs> Um, this, I can't think of a worse job. Well, I'm sure it pays well, but being like the engineer having to maintain the arc integration for GCP or <laughs> AWS, right? You know, there's probably some, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if you're listening, you know, there's, there's probably some team who, you know, their job is to make sure that this fast moving arc platform integrates well with their competitors fast moving platform and you know they've only got like three customers who care about this but you know it's like you know some massive bank who you know the salesperson is calling you as the engineer to be like how come you know you know bank of you know bank of internet can't see uh can't see their gcp data stores inside of arc and you're like kill me <laughs> and, and, and 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 probably inside of arc there's product managers like on each of these silos right you know there's the product manager yes. maybe maybe there's one who owns the aws and there's another who owns gcp and miscellaneous right <laughs> and other <laughs> and other and right other. and they're like oh, i got i got to deal with this oracle this gcp and i've got this you know big you know big internet bank of China that wants me to make sure that we work with Alibaba. Right. And yeah. you're like, what kind of, you know, mess did we get ourselves into? Right. So, so this, this, you know, by, by trying to cover everything, you're going to cover everything poorly. And, you know, maybe, maybe it makes sense for a little while. Um, at least, at least the Anthos thing was a bit restrained where they were like, it's Kubernetes. Right. You know, but yes. the, the art one is more, aggressive because they're like no 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 it's cloud and you know so it's 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 vms i'm guessing that's kubernetes too mm -hmm. it's you know a couple of different you know remote data databases it's they said a lot of stuff the devil <laughs> is in those details and again ah 
that just you know having done you know having done third party integrations for you know a large vendor is like that's not a fun job right well let's, um, i think we should at least walk through the use case here so okay <laughs> we move we've decided we're going to use azure because we like the cloud services i think you know again that seems fine that seems like okay yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so I'm people start down that road right and it's like okay yeah. i got you so we're going to move our stuff over and then they're like okay we're moving our stuff over running in azure and then um and then they say okay we've got for some reason we believe we have to have certain things on premise let's just stipulate they came up with a good reason that it was like data sovereignty security whatever we're not going to debate that for the moment all right so they're like we're gonna i like i have azure here and i've got my private data center okay all right now somebody in the room is like but you know what i also need to do I also got to run these servers in AWS on Azure. Okay. That's, this is the moment where I am like asking a lot of long open-ended questions before I am accepting any requirements for this. I'd be like, what exactly are, why are we doing? Because the natural question would be like, if you were concerned about outages or different regions of the world, you know, they even mentioned it, you know, Microsoft, I think they have like 60, I don't know, whatever. They have a, they have a lot of different uh, points of presence, they, they right? Get- they got enough. I think, yeah, I think it's like 16. <laughs> they have like the most. I think they even said they had the most, right? So maybe AWS would say the most. But anyway, they have a lot. So you would just say to them, well, we have these other data centers, you know, and they're all major regions of the world and they're located wherever you want. Like, why don't we just, you know, put whatever application or redundancy you need, we'll put it in this other data center that's under in Microsoft Azure. So then somebody is able to say, no, Brandon. That's not what I want. Like, I need you to do it this way. Now, of course, like, if they have enough money, let's, I'm just, I'm, you know, let's just call a spade a spade. Like, if you have a lot of money and you're there with the sales rep, the answer is going to be yes. At some point, we're going to be like, you know, we're going to stop asking questions. We're just going to be like, that sounds like a good project. We're going to go get started on it. And maybe that's what went on in here. But, like, I just don't know because this is what I don't understand. It's like, well, you have this other dependency on a whole other cloud provider. And then it's like, well, if Azure went down or your Azure went down, and, you know, I guess it kind of depends on, like, where is your Azure Arc running to then connect right. to this, uh, you know, data well, it's, center. It's in, running on AWS and, Outpost. Yeah, like, how, <laughs> how do I, like, what problem have I solved, right? I'm just saying, like, so if you're worried about, because you're already tied to Azure, and if you're not convinced, like, Azure itself can keep it up, then, then it's almost like you'd have to go to AWS completely separate, right? And be like, I need to have right. a separate set of services that just use AWS as services and their management so that when this day comes and everything is broken, I can just say, go to AWS because there isn't any dependency. So this yeah. is the moment, I don't know, this is the part of like in the use case that they were going through it. Like no one explained that to me. It was just like, my, why would we be introducing I, yeah. another dependencies between these two cloud vi- providers? And then of course you've already outlined, like even if they agree to work together on this area, it's just not going to be very good. It's just like we just know. Like no. you're not going to partner up and be like, oh, the AWS Azure integration is just perfect, right? It's like it's never going to be great. It's just like it can't be no. great. So so I'm concerned. I guess I leave I, myself I, concerned about people doing this. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean you uh, – the product management with their open-ended questions, I'm going to push back a lot harder because mm-hmm. I'm going to say like, look, sales guy, here's what we do. We tell the customer uh, we'll do it for – Twenty million dollars, <laughs> but tell you what, we'll do. We'll, we'll give you professional services <laughs> to get you off of that AWS, right? Yeah. And and then what happens? Um, you know, you like you're a salesperson. You can come up with a way to convince the customer, like, 
you know, Microsoft's going to throw professional services at us to help us get off of AWS, find a better substitute uh, within the Azure ecosystem. Um, you take a loss on that professional services, right? And and but you now own that customer's cloud, you know, roadmap, right? You know, mm -hmm. any future stuff is not going to be split across two clouds and poorly managed by Arc. It's going to be, you know, all in on Azure. And I'm sure the customers are going to push back on it. And then, what? but you don't productize that bridge. You know, you tell them, all right, we'll do some, you know, so, some, you know, we'll do some hacky, you know, crap to make it look okay. And maybe that's what Arc came out of is, you know, they kept getting asked to do these hacky bits and support them, but you do, it's, it's just a long-term tar, tar pit, right? <laughs> I think it, I ha having lived through this experience and seeing customers try to, you know, bridge clouds like hybrid cloud, I'm a skeptic. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, you get the least common denominator. I mean, I've always been a... a not a fan of you know uh, cloud uh, cloud uh, CMPs, you know cloud management portals, because uh -huh. you just get like the lowest common denominator. And now, you know, now you're not even like you know uh, a right scale trying to to bridge across you know two big vendors. Now you're like trying to bridge with a competitor who probably aggressively doesn't like this play. <laughs> Right? I totally agree. And, yes. Yeah, yeah, and, and and the only the only thing is like if this takes off. Amazon and Google have to do the same thing to, you know, to, or, or if you're Amazon, you're like, I'll throw professional right. services to get you off of a shirt. I was right? going to say, it's yeah. Sales jitsu, hey, know? listen, a couple things I need to chime in here. I was like, one, you need help. You need help moving to any of these cuts. Call me, call Brandon. I'll help you out. Like, I'm fine. Yeah. I'll work with every, every single one of these I can help you with. So that would be the first <laughs> question. Second thing I would say is I just want to like, we're just going to go over a quick scorecard of of what I believe is the endpoint is like everyone will integrate with everyone. But so here's where we are. Google or, announced with Anthos that you can provision uh, into AWS. I don't know if Azure was on there, but I'm sure it's on the roadmap. So I think Anthos is Google's answer. Of like, yeah, that's their, that's like their outbound integration. Yeah, with Azure, but it's Kubernetes to Kubernetes. Agreed, right? agreed. But we're, we're going to still call it. It's Kubernetes to Kubernetes. But Google is obviously very self-serving there, right? They don't have a lot of the traditional, like their core business isn't necessarily in the infrastructure side. So that's cool. I get it. So, okay, so their outbound integration is that way. So now we have Microsoft Arc, their outbound integration to AWS, and they did have Google. They just, like AWS, they showed. Google, they just said. So, well, we get it, right? Yeah. So, their outbound integration is Arc. So, they can now go from, um, from uh, uh, Azure to uh, AWS and to GCP. So, that's their, their thing. And then, of course, uh, I'm going to bring VMware here because VMware exactly. is with everybody. <laughs> they have come. To, yeah. And so, and I think it's uh, HyperCloud Connect, HCX, right? They've got their own specialized, you know, kind of like a, a better cloud version of uh, vMotion, right? To like, you can set up all your VMwares on all of these clouds, right? And if it all works, uh -huh. you can then move it between your on-premise VMware installation and your cloud installation. So right. VMware's already they they VMware's they're the most promiscuous. Yeah, right. they, <laughs> I would say by far away VMware. They've done the integration for everything. They they've even done Alibaba. They they probably finished the Oracle integration. They have everything. So that one that's a hundred percent. They go every direction. So I think we're about a month away from uh, reInvent. So that will be maybe even less, maybe even three weeks away. Uh, so that'll be, we'll have to wait and see. Does AWS 
offer Take any type of outbound integration <laughs> um, to them, well, or they, they just already have the VMware, right? They already yeah, have the VMware. I mean, everybody has VMware. VMware everybody. is everybody. Like it's nothing at this point. VMware will integrate with anyone, and they're all Table done. They're, they're done. So, so the only question is, like, does the AWS version of uh, yeah. of of this solution at any point do they say you know they'll do the integration with Azure and GCP? So. Well, because they've always dragged their feet on, you know, even acknowledging private cloud and let alone, you know, acknowledging the need to interact with their customers. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'd i say it's 50-50 whether yeah. they go for it, right? Because, again, they've been really resistant on the, the private cloud, you know, hybrid story. Um, the VMware one was kind of like, hey, let VMware do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, hundred yeah. percent, right? Cause, and cause I think the VMware well, one is, yeah. And VMware always has. I mean, VMware has a huge customer base that is actively using AWS, so it makes a lot of sense. So, so we'll see because you're right; they're usually the last to do these kind of things. Because and it makes sense, right? They're the biggest, right? They don't have to do any of this, right? Everyone has to integrate with them, which is is essentially what's going on. But it will be interesting because I, I think they were the last to even like acknowledge the hybrid cloud story existed. But we saw that I think last year it was when they really kind of like finally said it. Um, so will they ex- will they even acknowledge a multi cloud world? Ex- I don't know. I'm like I can't as I'm thinking Andrew Jassy and you know, he's up there and he's doing like his like super fast um, you know uh, state of the union. I'm like I don't know. I have a hard time him. I have I have a hard time for him actually saying something positive about Azure or GCP any type of integration. I exactly. It's very- it, maybe it's just a blog post that drops on that day <laughs> and and you know it gets mentioned on a slide. I go also. Other cloud integrator. Who is yeah. it? Jeff I'm Barr. Sure have some is Jeff Barr writing the blog post right now? Maybe he uh, is. Yeah, he's probably. editing that thing yeah. out. And he's just like, we're not even. He's it, like, it, it's been sitting in draft for a year and a half, right? Because they knew it was coming, but whether or not they actually release it, right? It's just sitting there. You know, it's like, <laughs> he's like, you know, he'll go in, change the dates, change some product names. He'll know. probably immediately publish it and then push it down. He's like, he'll put, he'll yeah. put that, he'll put, put ten in a row like he normally does, and then that'll be like the one that first. Well, one out. well, and it probably said like Azure Stack. TK and they're like oh <laughs> oh no let me let me go change that now it's it's Azure Azure, Azure. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, the final thing here I want to say, and uh, you know, I'm going to give some uh, viewing keynotes. So again, as I've said many times, the best way to view these keynotes at this point is online. I just watch them online. It's fantastic. Yes. Microsoft is a perfect keynote to double speed. I double speeded the entire thing. I feel like I got 85, 90% of, of, of the content. It was, I think it's well done. They have more of a, you know, uh, I always say it's wrong. It's not it's uh, Satya or Satya Nadella. I can never say his name correctly, but you know he uh, he he doesn't. You know he's more of like an MC and he's throwing it out mm-hmm. to the crowd and the demos. So it's good. I think they did a lot of fun demos. There's lots of interesting things to see. But you know they they talk or the information is is kind of if you will light enough and there's plenty of little videos in between. So double speed that two hour keynote, get it done in about forty five minutes, and you have everything you want to want. Um, Never been able to do that with the, the Jaffe AWS keynote. Cannot double speed it. That thing is, I mean, that is chock full of information. We'll see if it changes this year, but uh, that one maybe only 1.25 speed on that. So that's a little uh, little keynote um, recommendation for you. So, so Matt, we've talked a lot about maybe moving to a, mi- a multi-cloud world or a hybrid cloud yes. world, but... Regardless of how many clouds you have, um, sometimes you just need to know what's going on. You got any suggestions of some tools that people could use to help them yeah, out with Brandon, that? 
I do. I do. Uh, this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their APM tools, Logly. No one wants to find out about a critical operational issue on Twitter. With SolarWinds Logly, you can spot issues before they affect users by setting up alerting that will notify you immediately when a problem arises. Why stop there? Take it further and proactively monitor your applications using the Logly charts and dashboards to help you visualize what matters and quickly spot patterns across dynamically changing and interconnected services, events, and issues. Connect the dots across your log data with Logly. Logly is scalable cloud-based log management that won't break the bank. Plus, Software Defined Talk listeners get a special 20% off your first yearly contract of Logly from now until December 31st. When you mention you're a listener of SDT, new customers only, void where prohibited. To try it free for 14 days, just go to logly.com slash SDT. If it logs, it can log to Logly. And, of course, we uh, thank SolarWinds for being such a great sponsor. Uh, and, of course, we have, luckily we've got two ads this week. So we're going to talk a little bit. I don't know if it's so much a geographic oddity. Maybe we'll call it like a time oddity. So this was the world oddity. The world oddity. So this was, uh, at least here in the United States, uh, was daylight savings time. So, of course, I'm in the, we're in the northern hemisphere, so we're falling back. So my question is this, is this Matt, is I've worked with more people based all over, all over the world, you know, Europe, Asia, yourself, Australia, everywhere. It's like when um, we fall back, and we could just talk about, how stupid it is in general. So let's just when we spring forward. Yeah, and you're springing forward. I'm falling back. So we're just spring for the for back. the moment. I'm just going to say like let's just accept this happens. Like this is what I want to know is what's supposed to happen on the calendaring software. So we have I have many invites set up with people in yes. um at least three continents, right? And you know, and we've we've taken some time. You being one of them, we've taken some time to work out time periods that work for us. But every time the daylight savings time actually happens on the calendar, none of the invites change at all. So I'm always like, "All right, this meeting is for three o'clock." But last week, uh, this you know, we before we yeah. fell back, this meeting would have been, I guess, at four o'clock, right? But the calendar invite never changes for anyone, well, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Right, and it doesn't change on your side, right? It's like no, it does. <laughs> no, but that's what I'm saying. Like when I uh, in Outlook or in Exchange yeah. or even, or Google Calendar, I think they're all the same. I have never seen like when it becomes when I'm springing forward or falling back, depending on the time of year, the invite always stays the same. Which prompts would then I then have to have these you know conversations with everyone. It's like, hey, what time is it on your calendar? And then normally this results in us deleting the invite, the whole series, and putting a new one out. So. Is, does it work for anyone is my question. Does it work for anyone? <laughs> yeah. So so the invite is anchored on the time zone of whoever scheduled it. Okay. Right? So when, when you schedule it for 3 p.m. You know, central U.S. time um, and you know daylight saving time kicks in, next week it's 3 o'clock after it's changed. But for me, that's now, you know, whatever, uh, you know, 8, 8 a.m. the next day. And it used to be 7 a.m. Oh, okay. So is that now is that universal for Exchange and Google Calendar? Is that always that, how it works? Is that like the that, general that, rule? That, that appears to be so whoever Ooh. schedules it owns the time zone. Oh, okay. This uh, is actually some yeah. new information because I don't know. Like I I mean, so I guess yeah. the, the key here, so there is an advantage to you don't normally you don't want to be the meeting organizer because that is a no, bad job. But yeah. now suddenly I see. So all right, so if I've scheduled the meeting, your belief is in Google Calendar or Exchange. Because frankly, that's the only calendars that exist. Like I don't know, I, 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 all you people using iCal, good luck to you. Good luck out there, friends. I'm, I'm not even trying to go there, right? But okay, right. so the person that is the anchor time zone is the people that scheduled it. All right. Yep. I learned yep. a little something here, so that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so yeah, my my 
Australia has different DST than, well, New South Wales has different DST than um, than uh, North America for when it kicks in. So for the last month, you know, my stuff was shifted an uh, shifted an hour, and then uh-huh. it shifted two hours. <laughs> So yeah. you really get this time of yeah. year. I don't know if but it's it got, better it, it gets better now. It gets better. So this, you know, instead of having our call at 6 a.m., uh, it moved to 7 a.m. And now it moved to 8 a.m., right, so which now is you're a very, like very reasonable time. Normal yeah. time. All right. All right. Well, look forward, everyone. I'll, I'll just tell everyone, look forward in about six or eight months when we time switches again and we complain about this again in the geographic oddity <laughs> segment of the ad read. So, well, Matt, let me tell you this, you know, maybe you need to be notified. Maybe you need to be notified of some multi-cloud problems. Maybe you need to be notified that daylight savings uh, happened. But I have just the thing for you. This episode is brought to you by PagerDuty. In an always-on world, teams trust PagerDuty to help them deliver a perfect digital experience to their customers every time. With PagerDuty... Teams spend less time reacting to incidents and more time building for the future. From digital disruptors to Fortune 500 companies, over 12,000 businesses rely on PagerDuty to identify issues and opportunities in real time and bring together the right people to fix problems faster and prevent them from happening again. We're like the central nervous system for a company's digital operations, so we can analyze digital signals from virtually any software-enabled system and help you intelligently pinpoint issues like outages, as well as capitalize on opportunities, empowering teams to take the right real-time action. To see how companies like GE, Vodafone, Box, and American Eagle Outfitters rely on PagerDuty to continuously improve their digital operations, visit PagerDuty. Dot com And, of course, you should tell our good friend Matt <coughs> over there at PagerDuty. He's probably at a DevOps date. Go, go find him. Tell him he was, you listen to Software Defined Talk and you heard about PagerDuty. And I'll just say this. I've used some PagerDuty in my day, and they have figured out this time zone thing. They have got it all figured <laughs> out. They know yes. uh, uh, when the schedule is set up, they account for, uh, for uh, daylight savings time. So, again, we thank PagerDuty for being such a fine sponsor. All right, Matt. Well, let's see what else. Uh, you know, the other huge acquisition news I feel like we just we have to come, uh, touch on. Yeah. HP is going to be bought by Xerox. Is this, you know, I mean, what I, do you think? How do you feel about, about this, it? Matt? Well, I was more excited about it when I thought it was HPE. HPE. No, not that one. It's the printer <laughs> yeah, company. It's the wrong HPE. It's, it's, it's the, the, it's the, it's, you know, it's uh, the printers, probably, the scanners. Probably, yeah, it's the printers and scanners being purchased by the company that in, I guess invented copiers. So, um, you know, I guess that's news to our listeners, but I, I was, you know, I was more inclined to, to be excited about the HPE acquisition that is not happening. So, uh, you know, uh, if, you know, if HP printers becomes Xerox printers, uh, who gets the brand? I, from what I read in the article, HP is four times the size of Xerox. Um, I'm sure there's some some private some private equity or you know some financial shenanigans happening there to engineer such a deal, but eh. Yeah. Well, I was thinking the other day I haven't uh, I've not been by I have not made a lot of copies lately. I haven't been by a copier like one of the big old school copiers. I'm like, but when I last time I was around, like they weren't even if people said Xerox, right? Of course, with the old like we're going to Xerox something, copy something. Like I don't think they were Xerox copiers, so I don't know. I mean, I guess they're still doing well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, but I, I kind of look at this as this is like a little peanut butter and jelly. It's like, sure, guys, go, yeah, why not? Why not get together? Makes sense to me to go for it. 
Um, my only, my only request is like, can, can we put like a couple software engineers on the scanning software? Can we just get somebody in there to like, can we get the twain drivers updated? Can we just get a little bit modern UI? If you're going to ship some kind of scanning application, let's just maybe, maybe like break out the user, the, um, the user interface guides of the operating system, just like update the fonts. What do you think? Uh, don't hold your breath. Like having <laughs> it's not going to happen. Had not, not going to happen. I, I I had a another printer vendor um, tell me that they could not share like SNMP uh, you know information with me because that was proprietary. I was like, you just don't get it. No, you know, no I mean no, this is just it. whatever, right? But uh, luckily on their website, you know, when I was trying to find you know <laughs> yeah, the, the right uh, this this is years ago. Yeah. yeah, when I was trying to find the MIBs. Um, I did find the MIBs for their um, sewing machines. So <laughs> <laughs> they had industrial sewing machines. Oh it was the craziest gosh. thing. Jeez. But uh, yeah, uh, that's that's kind of news. It's kind of like the the Fitbit Google acquisition. I'm like, I guess this is news, but it doesn't really affect me. I mean, uh, all right. Well, let's okay. Let's go to that one. So Fitbit. Do you have any Fitbit products? Uh, not personally. My two of my kids have Fitbits. Um, uh-huh. One of them uses it. Uh, <laughs> um, one of my kids is really into, uh, you know, tracking that kind of stuff. He's like, you know, watches his steps and, you know, uh, but. Eh, All right. I'm, I'm, well, here, here, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to sell you on it. I'm going to try to sell you on this, Matt. Okay. So I, of course, I'm, I'm completely owned by the Apple ecosystem. So it's somewhat irrelevant to me, but I've got the Apple watch like the Apple watch now. Yeah. Um, but Apple Watch has really good fitness tracking, and when I do work out, it it does a great job. The only problem is I don't work out enough. That's that's a personal issue. So we'll move on. But like the thing I use the Apple Watch probably more than anything is it automatically unlocks my Mac, right? So it's a great, um, you know, just a great little security thing. So I'm wondering here because you've been a long time time fan of the YubiKey, right? I'm wondering if the Fitbit. If they don't do some kind of integration, um, and you know, if you will, put the YubiKey in the Fitbit or some kind sure. of yeah. um, some yeah. kind of combination, because then that would be kind of nice. You could well, actually uh, f- put aside the fitness stuff. It's like whatever, right? It's like if you work out, you probably already got one of these things, and good for you. But hey, tell everyone it's like why not like that Fitbit that you got for Christmas, and maybe you paid thirty bucks or fifty bucks for, and that you're using to track your steps. Also, that can be your uh, your YubiKey, so that when you actually log on to your Google uh, services, you can be a lot more secure. So I think that would be like not a bad uh, feature enhancement of Fitbit. What are your thoughts? Um, well, <laughs> I, I just want to point out that uh, Google actually has a YubiKey competitor. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, thought they were, I thought YubiKey was the one they endorsed. I guess they do. I guess you're right. I've, well, they, they, I they, they did. Uh-huh. They they did endorse them and they bought them for all their engineers and then they're like, hey, we should be in this market too, right? It's kind of like you know right. Amazon like you know promoting something. It's all oh, the number one in this brand and then they're like, hey, look, oh, there's Amazon Essentials doing the same thing, right? They, they kind of did that you. thing. How dare yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I from what I've read, it the roadmap for like the Android wearables or Google Wear, whatever that whole ecosystem is, hasn't hasn't caught on very well and so <laughs> yes, uh that is, that you know, is clearly the case yeah so so google will probably you know take this fitbit thing and keep the fitbit name and try to you know pivot a little bit under that umbrella to to get some some brand recognition and and you know i'm sure there's some some synergies there or whatever but uh 
uh, you know, I, I'm starting to feel like a total Luddite on things. I don't have any, uh, you know, I don't have any Alexa or Siri. Mm-hmm. I don't want wearables. Um, I'm kind of, you know, trying to minimize my phone uh, impact uh, as, you know, as I you know, put this on the uh, the internet and the podcast for everyone <laughs> to listen to. And, on their phone. Uh, yeah, on their phone. But, you know, whatever. I'm, I, I can have my cake and eat it too. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a wearables person. Um, I did tracking of health stuff for a while, like, you know, exercise. Then I was like, I know what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't need, yeah. I don't need somebody else seeing this data, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And no, I get you. And, and I'm, I'm definitely getting creeped out more and more by, uh, you know, all caps, Facebook. Um, so your, your weekly dose of paranoia for me. Um, all right. So you're not, you're not going to yeah. be in on the Fitbit. Well, I gotta say, I like, I, um, I'm not gonna get a Fitbit because I'm, like I said, I'm already in the Apple stuff, but there was kind of an interesting note somewhat related to this, just saying that, um, Apple pay passes, uh, PayPal, I guess as for, um, yeah. and it, and I guess it's quote unquote tramples, Google pay and Samsung pay. And I, I do think, you know, Apple pay, this is the one thing, you know, we talk about Apple a little bit is they do, a lot of companies talk about long term, right? And ones that do seem to play the long term game the best are Amazon and Apple, right? They're just like, we're going to do this Apple Pay, and people are like, it's never going to work, and no, nobody has a point of sale terminal, and it's like, you know, here we are five years later, and it's like they're the number one. It works mm-hmm. fine. It, you know, people use it more and more. It's every day goes by. Um, you know, <clears throat> they get a little bit more traction, and you know, all these other co- companies, no one else can really catch on. So. You know, it's kind of like the, you know, like the headphone jack. I always think about all these Apple things where people have these controversies. Like, oh, the headphone jacks and everyone's upset. And now it's like, it doesn't even matter. No one even wants, uh, no one even <laughs> wants AirPods or uh, actually uh, earbuds with any type of uh, cord on it anymore. Like there's, everybody has a wireless pair of uh AirPods or EarPods, whatever you want to call them for different things. Yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, kudos to Apple. So that brings us to um, the most important segment. So, you know, we talk a lot about migration and transformation. So, Matt, I, I want to check in on the Matt Ray Home Data Center. Where are we at on, <laughs> on upgrading uh, on their, our official, unofficial uh, Apple upgrade uh, to uh, Catalina? Where are you at? How many, mm. how many machines have you upgraded? And are you recommending everyone else take the plunge? So, so a, a little background on my, my home data center setup. Uh, I have five Mac laptops um, in my house uh, because they're five people. Um, and I, I got a really good deal on uh, refurbished work laptops. So they were uh, like 150 bucks each. Nice. <laughs> so, nice. so all my kids got laptops. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I am a bit of a... Uh, uh, hardware hoarder, um, at times and, you know, we'll try to squeeze out the last bit of life out of them. So I have been, um, I've got three 2015 MacBook airs mm-hmm. and, uh, two of the three have been upgraded to Catalina. Yeah. Um, and during the upgrade, I also upgraded their hard drives. So, um, maybe I'll throw it in the show notes. Uh, wow, like you actually cracked open the case yeah. and like you can, it wasn't yeah, soldered yeah, yeah. in there. Oh my goodness! No, no. So, so Apple got a proprietary SSD connector, uh-huh. um, and then you know some some folks over in uh, Shenzhen figured out like, oh, well, here's an adapter for that, and you can use you know the the stock you know uh, NVM SSDs you know uh-huh. that that everybody else uses. And so, like, you know, when Apple's like, oh, that'll be, you know, $400 for 512 gigs of RAM mm-hmm. or gigs of storage, I just upgraded all mine for 60 bucks. Um, oh, wow. Nice. From, from, like, from 128 gig SSDs to, you know, 512 that are also four times faster. Wow. So um, I'll throw that in the show notes. So for less than 100 bucks, you can upgrade the, the SSDs and, you know, pretty much 
I, I don't know if the latest ones can do it, but, uh, you know, so if you've got three, four year old, um, MacBooks, uh, I actually upgraded one from 2013 as well. So, uh, you know, pretty much anything in the last seven or eight years can be upgraded. Uh, on the hardware side, you get a little more life out of it. Uh-huh. Um, definitely more storage. Uh, so I did that and then I installed Catalina on them. Okay. Um, and so the, the benchmarks all look good. Uh, the compatibility, I'm still kind of questionable because I gave them to my kids, uh-huh. um, and they got rid of parental controls, and they merged it into the um, screen time. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And uh, so the first thing my kid did was log out of the um, the shared account, and now he has unlimited uh, Mac access. Uh-huh. Smart, smart. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So that was uh, – I had to – you know, I couldn't – I'm not sure how to lock that down. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just I'm like, don't do that again. Or, you know, or you just right. don't get locked. You've, you've gone right? from like a, an IT yeah. policy to a, a social policy. You do that yes. again, I'm just going to take that from you. I'm just going to take that exactly. laptop from you. I right, you. right. I was like, we, we agreed. You know, you keep using the screen time thing. When you disable screen time and just have unlimited laptop time, that's when you've crossed the line. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, not a good move, Apple. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, kids will find a way around your uh, IT policies. But um, it kind of works. Uh, you know, the screen time on, on the iPads kind of works, except when, you know, your kids steal the passwords, which I, I've got a, a, a password stealer in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> except when they steal the passwords, uh, that has been a problem. Um, <laughs> uh, one of my kids, uh, um, he, uh, he, uh, Oh God, he installed windows on it. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Partition the drive, put windows on. It. So, so clearly I have a family full of, uh, scoff laws. Um, but, uh, the Catalina so far. Okay. I'm not ready to move my home, uh, my, my work machine over to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, uh, probably move my wife over to it first. <laughs> okay. See, yeah, that's uh, but, nice. I'm sure yes. she'll, she'll appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. So, so 10.15.1 is out. I'm probably thinking 10.15.3 is All when right, that's I'll when you make take the plunge. Yeah, I don't know. All right, well, I've I'm done not... it. I took the plunge. I mean, generally everything went fine. I do think some of the audio stuff, like uh, I, I use Skype a lot, both the Skype for business and Skype for that. It's been a little less flaky, but then I'm always, I'm very quick to just blame Skype for all the problems. Like I, even if it's not Skype's sure. fault, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty much all that. So, well, I like to hear that. I mean, it sounds, it sounds really good. It sounds like you've got like a red team, uh, a person in your family who's going to grow up to uh, have a, a great cool. infosec. Cool. Uh, yeah. to have a good red team. I, I have to, I respect the dual boot to windows. Like, sure, dad, like, Hey, now that I got this other partition, I'm just going to part. Now that you've given me all this extra space, I'll just have this other secret. I, I let me know if he, if he goes all the way and produce, puts a, a Linux partition on that thing. Uh, uh, we're all like, we should just hire him. We should just start. We should just say like, <laughs> we got to get him a job. He's, he's gone all the way. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I definitely there's there's uh, some family traits toward QA. You know, finding all the things that don't work in software. That's what my family's good at. You're like, oh, parental controls, so I can't do this. Well, I'll just boot camp the box. You know, like oh, <laughs> love so, it. you know, foiled by physical access again. I love right? it. Fantastic. <laughs> all right, well, good. So I don't know. I guess we'll just say the software defined talk recommendations. Like, yeah, sure, go for it, Catalina. You know, if you don't have kids, don't worry about it. But it doesn't even matter if you do have kids. They're just going to find a way around it. So might as well just get the upgrade done. That's that's yeah. That's our solution. Yeah. I'm impressed I, I though that you cracked open the case and uh, switched out the hard drives. I yeah, definitely put that in the show notes. I want to see. I want to actually see how it's done. It, just... It's actually not too bad, right? Okay. And then and and you get what you get out of it is uh, you know uh, 
uh, the world computing sells uh, an overpriced uh, USB kit, mm-hmm. so you can have an external SSD if you if you need it. So I, I bought one of those. I've got four four drives, but one one case. So that's fantastic. Um, yeah, All right. I like it. Um, yeah, the uh, I haven't gotten the the sidecar stuff doesn't work for me at all. Um, as I mentioned, all my laptops are too old, mm-hmm. and all of our iPads are the just right before the cutoff. Ah, okay. So uh, I will say, I my kids used... got all excited about it, and then mm-hmm. we didn't use it. Yeah, yeah, the sidecar thing. I mean, I guess it depends. I think it is really good for a laptop. Like I have a, you know, I'm on like a big screen at home most of the time, so it's like I don't know. I don't really need another yeah. small screen. Uh, and it is. It's. I mean, I do have the the Apple Pencil. And stuff so it's it's novel you can kind of like you know draw and stuff and it's like oh wow like it used to be i could only draw poorly on real paper now i can draw poorly on my ipad you know there's not a lot of like things that i personally do but um it's it is well done what's that (laughs) so do they have ms paint for the mac (laughs) yeah you're just like what i'm just that was the azure uh, that was the uh (laughs) the uh, microsoft announcement i was waiting for (laughs) that's right where is paid so uh yeah but i think it's good i I do think though if you're on the go and you uh were carrying both devices and you want a little extra uh screen space when you're like in a hotel room or just anywhere um definitely check out the, the sidecar stuff so all right well listen um well Coach is not here this week, but if he were here, he would tell you that uh, in December 2019, that there's going to be a, a whole spring one uh, tours. They're all posted. looks like the next one would be Toronto, December 2nd. I mean, Toronto is beautiful in December, uh, <laughs> from what I hear. No, I think it's pretty cold. <laughs> uh, and then uh, what is this? Kubernetes Forum in Sydney? Are you going to this, yeah. Matt, the 12th and 13th? I, I, I signed up. Uh, assuming I'm not on the road, I'm going to go. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I kept a close eye on their refund policy. Okay. So uh, uh, I'm just attending, right? right? So not speaking or anything. So go to that but, conference, hunt down Matt Ray, ask him about Emacs, and like tell him to give you some stickers. And, uh, and Kubernetes. And the trait. And then um, there's actually uh, KubeCon's coming up. I mean, we have this ridiculously long uh, 10% discount code. So it's uh, November 18th through 21st. They're probably, I bet you they're pretty much sold out. But if they're not, you should probably. get in there. Yeah. And uh, you should use this code and get a 10% discount. Of course, our f- good friend, no SSH, JJ, he wants you to know about Delivery Comp. That's still on for January 21st and 22nd. Um, and he tells you, he's a link here you can go read about the format so he's really pumped up about that so you should go to that conference if you're either in seattle or you're going to be nearby uh <clears throat> so definitely check that out we did get a couple uh quick emails from listeners this week i sent stickers all over the world really all over the world this week i do not know how to say these names so i apologize in advance i think it's Olkosandar in you in o- ukraine o- alexander is that how you say it's it? just like it's oh, like the ukrainian say, alexander oh. all right Man, we should have. You know what? We should have rehearsed that before the show. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I looked go. at it. I was like, "Oh, it's Alexander." Alexander. Oh, well, hopefully, it's saying right. Anyway, in the Ukraine, sent him some really stickers, <laughs> and then uh, I don't know. You know how to say this one? Is it Nahal? 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 In Argentina. Uh, yeah, uh, so I apologize for just crushing those names there. So anyway. It was great to uh, send them stickers, and it was a very international vibe this week. So if you would like a sticker, uh, what you can do is you can send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And as you just heard, we can pretty much send them anywhere in the world. 
you know, South America, Anywhere. Europe, wherever, just send us that. Uh, a quick tip is like definitely need your postal address. And if you don't mind writing it in the way that it should be written, uh, I, I'm never sure. Sometimes like people have the zip code and all that in the right way. So um, pretty much I've only gotten a couple letters back. So somehow the mail, the, the mailmen and women in the world, postal carriers, they somehow read my handwriting and get these things to the right places, which is a miracle uh, uh, to me. So fantastic. All right, Matt, what about some recommendations? You got a recommendation for us this week? Well, uh, you know, I'm looking at yours. I'm eager to, to pitch in on yours, but, uh, my, my recommendation this week is the, uh, the true facts YouTube series, uh, by, uh, internet veteran Z, Z Frank. Um, I, he used to be really popular, and then I don't know what happened. He kind of, you know, laid low and just slowly trickles out stuff on his YouTube channel. But uh, it's just entertaining um, short videos about animals. <laughs> about animals? <laughs> and and not, don't share with your kids, though. Oh, uh, okay, I was going to say, is yeah, kid-friendly? Yeah, yeah. right. Not kid-friendly. Not kid-friendly. Um, it, it just appeals to my sense of humor, and I binge watch them. So that's my pick. That's my pick. All right, I'll, I'm gonna watch that. Yeah, no, I think there's a there's a lot of like kid friendly, like just true fact. This my is son, not kid friendly. All right, this was not, not good. Friendly. I was gonna say my son watches a lot of uh, weird, lots of kid friendly yeah. factoid videos. I'm always like, wow, that's kind of interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That in between, uh, yeah, we'll just a quick throwback to the Microsoft segment is like the last thing Microsoft showed was. Uh, Minecraft Earth, and I gotta say, I I don't get it. Like the real the the 3D virtual reality version of Minecraft Earth, I don't think it's gonna do well. I'm not sure that anyone in Microsoft has kids because I don't think the kids. <laughs> but this is not how the kids use Minecraft. Well, it was well, very. I mean, even at the end, the demo ended. If you're gonna watch anything, watch the just watch the Minecraft Earth. It's the very end. It's like 10 minutes, and it's like they lose. They're trying to do some kind of thing, but then the the thing runs off in the virtual world. They can't get it back. So they just like, they just kind of like declare victory and move on. I'm like, this is not good guys. This <laughs> is like, not good. I, I saw what you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm still playing Minecraft with my kids. So yeah, Microsoft's <laughs> doing something right. They're no, they that, are. They're doing, that, listen, that, Minecraft, that acquisition, I'm sure made them a ton of money. Microsoft can do no wrong, but Minecraft can do no wrong. I'm just thinking like this VR version is not what people want or AR version. This is not what they want. Yeah. So, okay. But what people do want is they want my recommendation. So I'm going to recommend <laughs> this weekend uh, I started watching HBO's The Watchmen. So this is, um, if you will, it's uh, probably everybody is familiar with the book, The Watchmen. There was a movie in 2009, pretty famous, right? So this is yeah. essentially a take on The Watchmen. It happens, I guess, like 30 years after the book, right? So okay. roughly that's what's going on. So if you like The Watchmen, then yep. I think it's a, it's a cool show. And I think you like all these shows – um, you know, I think as uh, critics say, like they respect the viewer. Like they're not going to explain everything to you. Like you need to stay up. A lot of like you know, you this is like most of everything I watch is like with my phone in my hand, and then I'm half watching something. It's like no, this you should pay attention to because there's a lot going on. Right. Now, I really enjoy it. I'm I'm three episodes in, but I will. I'm going to give a warning here. All right. So the showrunner, the person running the show, is Damon. I think it's like Len Loft. Len Loft. Okay. So he was the guy that, that created Lost. Okay. And, and we don't have time for me to do – maybe during the Christmas break we will have a Lost episode where I just oh, – no. where it's just an hour long of me complaining about Lost. But um, so it's like Damon, he's, he's like a good friend that, that, that you like and you're like, he does great stuff, but like he just doesn't always show up. He can really let you down at, a, at an important time in your life. Damon, he can just let you down. So 
you have to go into this eyes wide open, right? Because in Lost, there are a lot of interesting theories. We don't have to recap all of it. And it, let's just say at the end, I think we can all collectively agree, none of it was brought together. So I feel better about this because he's not necessarily, it's not all his own material. He's not writing everything from scratch. But he is taking, you know, a big risk in like trying to bring together you know, a new Watchmen series. So we all collectively have to like have very low expectations, right? Because even in the first three episodes, he's introducing lots of interesting ideas, just like Lost, lots of them. There's, of course, there's plenty of podcasts and, and Watchmen blogs to read about, right? There's all the stuff, but like, I'm just telling everyone, don't get too sucked in because we've been here before. Damon could let us down. He, I mean, I didn't get into the leftovers. Other people had like <laughs> the leftovers on HBO. They said it was good. I could never, I just could not get into it. I tried several times, but, um, so people had mixed reviews there. So, so I'm just telling you all, I'm going to watch, but I'm warning everybody. So, uh, I'm waiting. This, yeah, this I'm going to wait for the conclusion before jumping in. This but could let us down. It's right in my wheelhouse. Right? All right. Well, the other thing that I love about this is that, uh, great playlist. So I put a link in here to the Apple Music Watchmen playlist. There's also one on Spotify. So I think they do a great job with playing music, uh, in the, uh, in the shows. And I guess the, so I'm talking about just kind of music they selected. So I just, I think it's all really good music. I think anybody listening to this podcast will probably like it. Like it. But then I also have Trent uh, Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. I guess he has yep. scored him and like this other guy. They have some company where they score, you know, various things. Yeah. And uh, I just think, I mean, I think the music in this app and just everything is done well. The music they select yes. to play, the music they've scored. And then Trent Reznor, I guess under um, Nine Inch Nails, they've released their own soundtrack, but it's like I haven't heard it. I just assuming it's great. I guess it's pressed on vinyl, so it's uh, like, yeah. Can you I'll actually get I'll it? A, a, I'll, I'll throw the there's a streaming link on Spotify to it. I was listening to it yesterday, okay. so yeah, definitely good. I, I've been a, a big fan of like uh, they did the the Social Network and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and yeah, he's yeah. They, the, that pair has done a lot of good soundtracks. So right away, the, I think the Emmy for yeah. best music immediately goes to the show. I I just all in on all the music here. So the score is yeah. great. The playlist is great. I think the plot, I'm just going to, I'll leave it on this. The plot, I am, I'm optimistic, but I'm realistic, right? This is like an IT project. I have high, I, I think we can do great, but there's a lot of work to be done here by Damon between episode three and episode 10. So we'll see how it is. So, so check out the Watchmen. All right. With that, that is it for this week. And we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.